0: Come on, let's go. By shortwave broadcast, direct from important overseas capitals, we are about to broadcast
1: this moment in our history.
0: Hello and welcome to the History Workshop Podcast. I'm Mary Beth Hamilton. The Creos of Sierra Leone is a new display at the Museum of London Docklands that tells the story of Sierra Leone's Creo people. The Creos are descendants of previously enslaved African, Caribbean, and African-American peoples who, from 1787, were resettled in Sierra Leone by the British. The display includes contemporary objects from the collections of Creole Londoners, as well as 19th century objects related to British colonial rule in Sierra Leone from the museum's collections. In this podcast, the exhibition's co-curators Melissa Bennett and Yamadei Thomas discuss their work on the display, in the process, they have a broader conversation about Black British history in museums and community-engaged museum practice.
2: Hello, my name is Melissa Bennett. I'm Higher Education Programme Manager at Museum of London, and I recently co-curated the CREOs of Sierra Leone Temporary Display at Museum of London Docklands along with Yamaday Thomas.
1: Hello, I'm Iyamide Thomas. My day job is already with the Sickle Cell Society, but I'm co-curator of the exhibition Melissa just mentioned.
2: So we worked together on the exhibition and we thought it would be great to discuss some of our experiences, some of the challenges and some of our successes. So we're gonna have a conversation about our work together on the display. I'm gonna be asking Iyamide a few questions as we go along and I'll make some contributions too. So I think what we're going to start with, as we're talking about the tellings of black history, is what our first experiences were of seeing black history in museums and what we thought about them. So would you like to say a bit about your experience of seeing black history in museums?
1: Oh dear, you're asking me to think way back. When was When did I see black history in a museum? Okay, I've been to the International Slavery Museum in Liverpool, and... That, that's quite that's quite a an interesting um, display of um, black history, but sometimes I don't think they really tell it from a black perspective and I mean if it, especially if it's your history being told and you see certain you know um, paragraphs then you think, oh they could have put this, they could have put that if only they spoke to the right people so as much as you know a museum will tell black history it's always good to me to for it to have been curated by somebody from that culture i know it's difficult but somebody from that culture at least approach people from that culture so that when you're telling the history it reflects some of the things you won't find i don't know in a research book or on the internet or stuff like that so that that's that's what my my um, advice would be that tell black history, but try and get a first-person perspective of it, if you can.
2: So what made you decide to embark on your own project to display black history in museums?
1: Okay, the project is called The Creos of Sierra Leone, and the Creole people are an ethnic group in Sierra Leone that descend from freed, um, previously enslaved peoples, and I am a Creole, um, my ethnic group is Creole. So for a start, um, it's almost as if I am telling my own history in that the Creos of Sierra Leone pertains to me, me, myself, I. <laughs> and um, I. that history is linked to British history and it's not history that's currently told in museums around the country. There's a bit of it at the um, International Slavery Museum but most of that history ends with abolition and people were freed and taken to Sierra Leone, which is why there's that link. This enslaved people were taken to Sierra Leone. and I have been doing a lot of research. I've joined um, diaspora groups where we're showcasing our history and I've always wanted to mainstream it in the form of an exhibition. So that, that's that's the story behind it actually. Interested in my own history and wanting to showcase it in the UK because of the link. And one way of showcasing it, apart from being on TV and doing Black History Month events, is to have a permanent or semi-permanent display in a museum, a mainstream museum.
2: Yeah, and I think it fitted really well in the London Sugar and Slavery Gallery at the Museum Mm. of London Docklands, Mm. because Mm. we had quite a lot of objects related to that history in our Mm. collections. So um, we have a lot of collection materials that relate to the colonial history of Sierra Leone, not so much the contemporary history but definitely the the connections to London um, and Londoners who were involved in the projects to settle people there. We have a lot of material in the collections. Also within the London Sugar and Slavery Gallery it's good to have the display to connect the story of enslavement back to West African history because although the gallery begins um, with the history of West Africa it kind of tapers off and only focuses on the Caribbean and then the diaspora in Britain after that point, and this story of the Creos of Sierra Leone is not really told, even though it's very um, important to the story of abolition, which is featured um, in quite a lot of detail in the gallery. So we've just talked about what made you decide to put the Creole history into a display. So why do you think the display is important?
1: Well, you've said how part of it is. Um to continue the story from abolition, you know, because as you said, a lot of the museums talk about abolition and that people were sent to the province of freedom or they were freed in the UK and all that. But it doesn't really say what happened once those people were sent to the province of freedom, which is Freetown in Sierra Leone, because a whole new culture and um, heritage developed from that. And I think it's important for people to go to a gallery and read about the story of slavery, but also continue the story um, beyond abolition and, you know, years and years beyond abolition and see how people were affected by slavery and the resilience they showed, you know, um, being descendants of previously enslaved people. So I think it's important to tell that, that story and Make it a sort of learning for um, uh, younger people. You know that you, the people who suffered the the, the um, heinous crime of slavery and their descendants, but they were able to show a certain amount of resilience and come out out of that. And we reflect that in the display.
2: Yeah, I think the display mm-hmm. is very much a celebratory one. And when we had the launch event, people were really full of pride um, for their heritage. It was very much a, a celebratory atmosphere. People were proud, they wore their cabaslot dress. Um, and a lot of people were sharing their own stories and were encouraged to do so um, because they saw the display. I think also the display is really important because it unites all these different histories, which often mm. we think of quite separately. So we think mm. of African history, we think of Caribbean history, we think of British history, we think of American history. And the CREO display really ties all of these mm. together. and and unifies all of those people and shows them that they've got a shared past and a shared history, when often we sort of put things into neat little boxes and we don't talk about interconnectedness. So I think it's really important for people from all those communities, whether they're sort of a white British Londoner, an American tourist, um, a Sierra Leonean, they can see how all their histories kind of map together in this really interesting way through the display.
1: And it's um, just to add to that, uh, and um, through the dis- things on the display actually show um, in the heritage, it shows um, there's a particular item in the display which actually shows how all those histories were brought together in a certain dress from the Creole. So, you know, we actually have it there in, what's the word? We, um you know the melting pot that was created from the um, all these people that Melissa mentioned. They evolved from that melting pot with a bit of American history. Maybe the houses in Sierra Leone were, were American um, led. Then the dress, the food, everything was just in this melting pot, and it came up, came out as a stew that we can call the Creole heritage. Hmm? Yeah.
2: <laughs> so why do you think it's important that the, the display was initiated by you and that a lot of the content was driven by you um, and your organisation, Um,
1: Okay. I always think, um, you know, we're not all historians or we're not all creators, but historians or curators, and I'm not a historian, by the way, <laughs> uh, you know, historians and curators can help the ordinary person tell their own history because history is basically to me anyway um, storytelling and if you have somebody who's a Creole um, who has grown up with that heritage and has lived it in Sierra Leone and everything like that I think they're the best person that can share their experiences with a historian or curator or can even co-curate so I think it's very important for the person who knows what they're talking about, you know, to tell it from a black African perspective and with the help of somebody else who probably is a curator or a historian. I think, I think that's a very important thing. As I said earlier, you know, um, you can help somebody tell their story, but it's still their story.
2: So do you think it's important um, that community groups who are collaborating on these kinds of projects are sort of leading the project and it's initiated mm-hmm. from their ideas rather than sort of a museum or an organisation going out to them and saying, we want you to do this.
1: Definitely, because if somebody has, um, well, well, either leading or at least um, co-producing, you know, the whatever the project, and I think if the project has been initiated by the community, the chances are that they will show more interest in, in it and be more committed to it.
2: Okay, so yeah. um, that leads quite nicely on to my next talking point, um, which is kind of thinking about more practical advice that we might want to give to people who are gonna embark on a similar project. So one of the things that I think is really important about the relationship that we developed um, was obviously we were two people working together. It was my day job, it wasn't your day job. Um, so we had to share a lot of the tasks, like writing the text, writing the proposals, Um, and it was really kind of managing both of our times so that it worked. So do you have any advice that you would give to museums who are co-curating with community groups and people like yourselves who obviously have their own jobs Mm. um, and are kind of doing this as a side project?
1: Well, one of the things that made me have the time to do this co-curating is because um, my main job is part-time. So I was able to use my... Extra days when I'm not working to go to all the meetings at the museum and everything related to the um, exhibition, that might not be a similar situation with, say, somebody else in the community you want to curate stuff with. So that's one thing to bear in mind that um, time wise, if you're dealing with members of the community, you have to um, be aware that if they're working, you know, they might not be able to go to all the meetings that were. Um, related to the display also traveling i mean again i was able to source um or rather resource my my traveling and everything else all the expenses related to the exhibition as far as me getting to the museum and you know getting one or two items but not everybody you know might be able to afford to do that so that's something else to bear in mind Mm
2: And how did you manage your time, sort of, how did you manage the job that you do alongside the demands of co-curating this display, because it's quite a lot of work that you had to put in from your side.
1: Um, Yes, indeed, and it was at the time when I was actually quite busy at work as well, so some of the things I did for the exhibition I ended up having to maybe do on a weekend to be honest, (laughs) you know, because of, you know, obviously, you know, um, as I said, I was busy with um, stuff at um, my paid, paid work, you know. But it, it was, as I said, because I have, you know, usually have two days free in the week, I was able to balance it out and do it. And because I'm, I am was so committed to seeing this exhibition, to be honest, I was, I was um, willing to give up my weekends and do anything that was needed because, you know, I had a passion to see this exhibition go to fruition.
2: Yeah, and yeah, I think that, that, was, what it was. Yeah, that yeah. was the case on both sides because mm. sometimes um, mm. you would contact me at the weekend mm. about stuff
1: yeah. or oh, I yeah.
2: remember even um, when I was on holiday over summer, it was yes, quite a, a crunch cool. time Yeah. 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 Um, because we were making the final decisions, we had some press stuff that I had to go through. So because you were making yourself available sort of in your mm. own time, mm. I had to do that as well um, so that things were fair and you weren't sort of over committing um, and having to pick up all of that extra stuff, or not being able to consult me,
1: and I didn't you, take a you, holiday. Your... <laughs> I haven't taken a holiday yet, <laughs> <laughs> I had to postpone it. But again, as I said, I mean, I really wanted this this exhibition to be out there. And I looked really looked forward to it. it took a year, didn't it? From and yeah, yeah, it took a, it was a year, yeah. you know, from the start of the proposal to to um, just under a year. Yeah, I think it's
2: about eight months. Yeah. I think um, in total. Um, so when it came to actually doing the main work of the display, so I guess the, big, the biggest piece of work that we had to do was um, putting together the text. But the first thing I guess we should talk about is the proposal. So we worked on that together. So quite a lot of work went into even thinking about the display before we even knew that we could definitely do it. Um, you had your ideas about kind of the structure that you wanted mm. for the display and I think we ended up following those except we had to sort of cut one off the end and Mm -hmm. blend two together um, because of space Mm -hmm. Um, and once we had your structure I could then look in the museum's collections to see what we had that Mm -hmm. fitted into certain areas and you could see what you could acquire from the community um, that fitted into those certain areas Mm -hmm. so we really shared that research work I think but it was led by your ideas and led Mm -hmm. by um, the structure that you had come up with Um, and then when it came to writing the text I think we split that that. quite evenly didn't we Mm -hmm. Um, but you still had kind of the final sign off I would say so whatever was written by me and by you then was corrected by um, heads of department and our exhibitions team and our interpretation um, team you would then look at again and if there Mm -hmm. was something that you were I'm happy with it
1: would be changed, and I think we went for quite a few versions, didn't we, of the text, yeah because really what, um yes, Melissa said i i you know I kind of had a structure because this is something I'd been thinking of before we actually did it i'd um thought about doing it almost two years before, and so I did have a structure, so it wasn't starting from scratch, and yes, we kind of did the text. Um, to and fro and made sure we got it right because I I can't remember if I said to Melissa I didn't want the Creole diaspora to to um, they would have come after me if anything was wrong to be honest (laughs) you know (laughs) so we had to get it right we had to at least get it as right as we could you know Hmm?
2: Um, and do you think sort of connected to that there's more of a pressure um, when you're a curator of um african or caribbean descent and you're representing those kind of histories because you are kind of more exposed to the criticism from your community or do you feel mm-hmm. more pressure yourself because you really want to get it right because it's something that's so personal to you and that's something um, that people yeah. don't always, under- always understand if they're representing things that they're quite detached from
1: oh yeah that's true no no if you it's well it's always good to get 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 it as right as you could, you know, in, in if you're displaying something for other people to come and learn from anyway. You don't want to be giving them wrong information. But in this case, um because it was as a co-curator of um something that's not out there in a museum before, at least not in the the way we, we did it, and I knew that a lot of people coming to see it would have been People I know, you know, friends, family, and people just out there from all these diaspora organizations that I know people in, the Sierra Leone diaspora in particular. um, If my name was going to be their co curator, they knew who the reference point was. And if things were not, you know, too right, they'd say, which is why it's important that we're evaluating the, the exhibition actually and getting people's feedback. It's important for that.
2: So in terms of the practicalities of putting the museum together, I think there are a lot of things that people from the outside world wouldn't know that you have to do. So there are a lot of hoops that you had to jump through um, to get things sort of decided on the object list, to get things um, approved to go into the display. Um, And I think there's a real sort of... um, Lack of awareness on the outside of sort yeah. of the, the structures of museums, yep. um, but also a lack of awareness in museums about how sort of difficult and awkward their structures can be for people f- from so the not outside, in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the example that I will always remember is when um, you had the stuff brought over from Sierra Leone so the um, grass hat, the bag, the, the dress, the, the, the head wrap, the dress, the slippers. And you brought some of them to the museum one well, day. Well,
1: I wanted to. You brought the- <laughs> I wanted to because yeah. I could have just brought a bag.
2: Yeah, you brought the hat and the... Oh, was it? The bag? Did I the bring bag. the hat? Yeah, you brought the hat and the bag to the museum and you did were I- like, okay, can you keep these now? I- but no, obviously don't we don't have a them. whole like process behind oh, I think you want to acquisitions, see. entries, things have to mm. be registered, you have mm. to check. And like you are saying, the other example, when um, there was the loose thread on the well, dress no. and you had to have we had to have you there to approve
1: well what it is is I, I'll tell you what it was the um the outfit on the mannequin could have it it could have gone in a in a shopping bag and I because of the number of trips that I've been I've been doing to the museum I thought I could just put everything in the shopping bag and take to the museum and say you know here's the outfit for the mannequin but no 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 it wasn't anything like that they had to come to my place measure everything but i can understand it and see that um record what state the things were in because obviously it's a loan and you want when they return it they want to be able to say we've returned it in exactly the same way you gave it to us so i can i can see the the, the logic of that but i suppose at the time because i made it especially for the the um, exhibition i wasn't too bothered about you know um, thinking a year ahead that they return these things in the way you know, I I wanted it so yeah so they had to come and measure things and I had to sign forms. Another thing that was quite um, tedious, if that's the word I um, should use, was um, getting loans from other people. Again, I had to send them the the and that includes pictures and everything else that's in the display. If it was from somebody else, they had to sign a. Uh, image rights form image release i think images release. how they wanted it to be captioned and some of these people were abroad and you know when you're getting things from you know some of these other countries if they if they um wi-fi or the the um electricity isn't um 24 7 to get somebody to scan something and send to you and you know all that so you know these are some of the considerations one has to take if you're trying to get pictures from the so-called developing world
2: so do you think there are some adaptations that museums could make in terms of um using those kinds of materials or acquiring mm-hmm. things like you said from people um in country mm-hmm. and developing world mm-hmm. where services are less mm-hmm. reliable
1: let's say um. I suppose, really. I mean, I think image rights are important because you don't want to be sued for using somebody's um, image without um, crediting them. You know, ex- you know, we don't want that. So you do need to be having people saying that this is my, I have copyright with X Y Z and all that. But um, maybe. Hmm electronic signatures I don't know um, that's something one has to think about a bit because we know how important it is for you to use a picture and credit whoever's provided that picture
2: maybe it's just about allowing hmm? more time for that sort of stuff to be done hmm. and I think when yeah. it came to well, us yeah. securing the images we were quite pressed for time weren't we Oh yeah, I seem um, to remember the that. Date. Yeah. Whereas maybe if we'd have tried to do that in okay. June yeah. or July, yeah. it and wouldn't have pictures, been um, yeah. so
1: much of an issue. Yeah, you need to to allow time for emails may not come as quickly. You know, people don't. Some people don't even have access to emails, and some of the pictures, even though we could, you know, from Sierra Leone, that was one other thing. We could have got images from Sierra Leone you know, the wooden houses, for instance. But again, it was the heavy rains. (laughs) My photographer there, you know, it was really, sometimes places get flooded and, you know, you can't go and take pictures when it's, you know, sort of really pissing down with rain. And that stopped, you know, in the end we had to pay for some of the pictures from, you know, the stock images and stuff like that so all that as you say if you allow more time although I did give him a lot of time but (laughs) you know there you go
2: yeah so I guess Mm. moving on from um, images we Mm. can talk a little bit about making sure that the exhibition was represented in the way that you wanted it to be Um, and I think again thinking of the kind of bureaucracy of the museum um, Mm. in terms of publicising the exhibition we had um like a few small issues in terms of how it went up on the website. So I think we had some images taken, didn't we, of you in the stores, um, with the dress and the mannequin.
1: Oh and you mean okay, yeah, yeah. And we
2: didn't end up using those images because um our communications department preferred a different image. So that's the image that we had to go with, you know, the one of the, oh, the silver dish. dish. Mm. Um, mm. And that was something that we thought didn't really represent the
1: display very yes, well. Yes, yeah, you know, you're right. I want I I wanted something which would be very obvious to Sierra Leoneans that the display was about Creole heritage. You know, on the on the um, museum's website, I mean, a dish, even though it was relevant in the sense of it being a gift that was given to people who were involved in repatriating enslaved people something more to do with the heritage of creoles would have been instantly recognizable on that website and um, we didn't go for that or yeah. rather that was not the image used so sometimes you know and i think that although later on i think they put some images, yeah we changed yeah.
2: it to an image of
1: yeah. the display after yeah i think later on but it's, I to me if you're dealing with communities and they've told you their story and their history and their you know and you're projecting it onto either the website or the online online or anything like that get something that's you know immediately related to them would be my advice instead of something that is probably colonial (laughs) which in this case the dish was You know, I think that would probably rob some people up the wrong way, to be honest. It focused on
2: the wrong aspect of the history, I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So these are all things to be mindful of.
2: Yeah. Um, And continuing on um, that thread of representation, I think it's worth saying that from the museum side, the display has given us um, lots of opportunities to really try and work in new ways. Um, And one of them was, of course, through our beautiful mannequin, um, which the cabaslot Dress ensemble is on. So we wanted to ensure that that mannequin um represented the kinds of people who would actually wear the dress so we went through a process of buying a mannequin with quite dark wooden arms um and then we couldn't get actually a black skin color mannequin we could only get jet black or white or gray none of which really suited what we wanted to do so we had our um Dress Mm. and um, textile conservator working really hard to dye some fabric to wrap the white mannequin um, in a colour that looked like the skin colour of a Sierra Leonean, not a European or Mm. a fake skin colour. So that was something that we really tried hard to do and I think it's really worked well because it brings the ensemble to life in a way that kind Mm. of a sterile um, mannequin where we hadn't tried to do that um, wooden. I don't know what
1: you mean. Yeah, no, no, that's good because in the past, you know, if you go and buy mannequins in shop and ask for black, they will give you charcoal black, you know, and nobody has that. Well, you know, that's not, even though they're very, very dark people, but um, some the mannequins like that, are, they just don't look life. They're very life, one-dimensional. Yeah, and they're not like that, lifelike. Yeah. So it was good that this one had, um, you know... Um, I don't know about the the wooden, the wooden hands are the right color and they bend and, you know, the pose, we were able to do a nice pose with it, which I don't think those are the ones that you buy in the stores can do because we've used um, the normal... Mannequins before in a store and put the cerulean dress on it, and it really just looks like a mannequin. (laughs) Whereas this one is a mannequin, but it has some attitude to it. So, so, yes,
2: hand on her hips, yeah, um, tilted slightly sideways. Exactly, and
1: you go in there thinking this is somebody in a Creole dress, not oh, look at that mannequin or dummy as somebody called it and i said look can you use the word mannequin please Dummy, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you
2: know? and i think there mm-hmm. were other things that um because of the history we had to consider like we definitely had to have a mannequin with arms and that was oh, yes. something that was yeah. really important because yeah. of the um sort of the really sad history of the civil war when a lot of people were mutilated we couldn't have sort of a no armed mannequin and no hands coming out of the dress yeah. um yeah. because of the historical yeah, like, connections but, there yeah. Um, so, it's important that all of these kind of things are considered when you're putting these kind of histories on display. Um, to going back to what you're saying about the colonial, the dish which represented the colonial history, I think something that we really um, focused in on when we were thinking about the layout for the display was that we sort of gave equal space or preferably more space to the more contemporary stuff, <laughs> um, which is the stuff that you brought in from the community. Because uh, we didn't really want to focus too much on
1: that colonial history, it was more mm-hmm. there for context, wasn't it? Yeah, I would say. I mean, it was a nice dish, it's a lovely dish. It's a, I wonder if they still do those dishes now. It was a lovely silver dish, <laughs> you know. Somebody actually told me they had one of those dishes, and I said, Are You sure? Anyway, no, it was a lovely dish given to uh, um, one of the um, army. Officers, yeah, the, the, who, who,
2: the um, assistant superintendent yeah. in charge of the liberated Africans. Because,
1: yeah, so it was a lovely dish to display, but you know, you needed to bring some other things, as, you know, um, to just balance it out a bit. That they were not just glorifying the people who resettled um, the enslaved Africans, but you had some other things there that were relevant to the resettled Africans themselves, you know doing publications or other things.
2: Yeah, um so I guess to tie up what we've been talking about, would it be good for you to talk about some of your um hopes for the future of the display? Um I know we've managed to bring it to life through quite a few events, so you can maybe talk about mm, those. No, no. Um, and then maybe your hopes for the future, what's gonna to happen to the display once it's finished, what's gonna to happen to um that history, is it going to be reproduced elsewhere? Um, Are you Mm -hmm. going to keep um, sort of passionately campaigning to get this history more widely known?
1: Okay, the display um, has been really, really well-received. I mean, Melissa will tell you, the launch seemed as if it was the hottest event in town, to be honest. You know, people were craving for launch, launch invites. So the display has been really well-received, and we've had a lot of press coverage, mainstream press coverage. And um, now with social media, the minute something goes on Facebook or a video, which because we had... Um, um, mainstream BBC filming of the display and that was then you know shared so it has gone worldwide there's no doubt I, I don't think there's any Creole person in UK in the UK who has not heard about the display at the Museum of London and one of the aims was to get people going to museums there are lots of people who've been there who never knew of the existence of the Museum of London so that's really been um, achieved as an objective and we've had events. Um, it started in this, in kind of the end of autumn. So I think once we go to the spring and the summer, there will be many more people going to visit. Some people have been more than once already and taking friends there. So it's it's a display that um, people are proud of, as you know, we said earlier, you know, they, they came to the Black History Month events with all the Creole attire and all that. So for the future, we want well, obviously I want more, more and more people to see it and share it, which is happening. Um schools are seeing it, um, the children are learning from it. Um we will want to we I've been asked whether it can be taken to Sierra Leone. Um the text to the display obviously is portable but the items in the display the museum has its own items so even within england i gather that, that loaning out um, items between museums is not as straightforward as it sounds you know? no, so it can you
2: take know? it's normally yeah. six months to of. a year the lead-in time because um, the
1: dish in, for instance in
2: the institutional loans yeah yeah the
1: dish wouldn't go to sierra leone but it could have gone if say a museum in bristol or in liverpool wanted it that could have you know those things could go you know, but um, well, at least it's got people have been asked about taking you to Birmingham. I don't know what museum is there, but, you know, and to America, even America, because as I said, Sierra Leoneans are really, really passionate about seeing their history like this in mainstream UK and wanting to share it. And um, yeah, so thoughts would be, I've been asked whether it can go to Freetown and I've been told, oh, can you do the research here? and bring some of the stuff to Freetown. I think the person that asked probably thinks I don't work. But you know, but yeah, they, the thought the thing is they're now thinking of having a similar exhibition of Creole culture in Sierra. I must say that the Creoles are a minority group in Sierra Leone. Yeah, so um they, you know, having that sort of exhibition there would, would be quite a coup, you know, to have that sort of exhibition. Then we can think about that because the text, you know, I think is copyright between the two between the community, myself, and the museum? So, yes, we can um, certainly think about taking it out. So well. it's good that people are thinking of doing it, even if it's not this exhibition. It's got people thinking of maybe we should be showcasing. Yeah, and to
2: be honest, if you, you know? want to take it to. So, earlier, and there might be objects there that there could will be, be used instead. Mm, definitely. Um, so, like the liberated African registers are there. I yeah, think there are, lots that of were digitised mm. for the British Library. There might be better maps. And I even have somebody have. who has said other objects.
1: Yeah, I have somebody like bits right of models, maybe. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no. There, there will be. That's what I'm saying. So it's good that they're thinking about that because yes, one could get objects from there. There's a uh, right now. I have somebody who says he has a whole load of stuff he wants to hand over so I don't know yet what it is but you know so you're right the text can go can be improved on or added to and then other things so it's got people thinking so yes you know America and you know you see what it could do because the story is always part of a la- the larger narrative of slavery and because you you know, slavery abolition. Abolition, free town. So anywhere really that is telling the story of slavery and abolition, even the new museum in, in America, I haven't been there. You know the African American History Museum has apparently has a whole floor or something on slavery. I don't know whether they've told the creo you know the story. You see what I mean? So yeah, there's there's a lot of scope if people really want to be serious about it. Because as far as I know, there's nowhere else where, you know, they've actually got a language that has evolved from the mix of all the people brought into one place who were freed. because that's how the Creole language evolved as well. So, you know, I can't think of any other place where they've mixed Africans, Americans, people from Jamaica all coming together and then speaking a language that they all understand, which is the lingua franca of Sierra Leone now. So yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite an important history.
2: Yeah, and I think as well we've kind of done our best to share the display with people who can't come to see it. So we have recorded the um, video tours of the display. Um, they're going to be put online for people um, who mm-hmm. are in Sierra Leone or in America, as you mentioned, or elsewhere mm-hmm. around the world so that they can see. We've done the additional video content about the dress, so um, we mm. featured that as part of our London's Fashion Alphabet series and mm. the letter
1: K. It's very well received. Yeah. And we also
2: um, recorded Eddie. an interview of one of the notable Creos sons, um, yeah. Eddie Smythe, who is the son of John Henry Smythe, who we featured in the display. Mm. So there's lots of ways to engage with it, even if you can't get even into the physical can. space.
1: Yes. And I yeah. think
2: that's been really important, and that's been something that's been quite successful in the community mm. you mentioned.
1: Then very much so. Yes. Yeah.
0: Many thanks to Melissa Bennett and Yamade Thomas for taking part in this podcast. The Krios of Sierra Leone is now on display at the Museum of London Docklands. You can find out more about the exhibition at the museum's website, museumoflondon.org.uk, and you can keep updated on events relating to the display by joining the mailing list at thekrios.com. Please visit our website, historyworkshop.org.uk. You can find us on Twitter at HistoryWO and on Facebook and Instagram as History Workshop. This is the History Workshop podcast. I'm Mary Beth Hamilton. Thanks for listening.